glad that if you're here at home, I'm glad you're here at home, that you're joining with us. Um, I want to get right into a message. We're starting a new series today, and I've called it Hi-Fi. Um, some of you are saying, did it, you know, you've heard about high five, you've heard about Wi-Fi, but you have to be a certain age to perhaps know about hi-fi. Um, this should probably help you. There was a day that when you wanted to listen to music, it came out of these huge boxes that were in our living rooms. And I used to sit right in the middle in front because we had stereo, of course, so you could hear different things out of the different sides. And, and that was a hi-fi. We called it hi-fi. Um, and, and they were... How many had one of those in your homes growing up? Yeah. And then if you were really sophisticated... One of the later versions had the insert for the VHS tape. Then you were cool. Then you had arrived. You were at the peak of sound quality. Hi-fi. It means high fidelity. It's an abbreviation of the term high fidelity, which in the, in the recording industry is, is the ultimate goal. It is, it is what every sound engineer is is aiming at, is directing at, since, since the, the beginning of sound production and recording from the, phono, from the phonograph up to um, you know, Spotify that everyone has on their phones these days, whether we go back in time to the, the analog era where, where um, inventors shouted into the wide end of a cone and... Uh, A stylus at the other end would record the difference in air pressure and scratch something on a a metal cylinder that could be reproduced, that could play back the sound that it recorded. Or then it went forward to the electrical air where we invented the microphone, and now signals could be recorded electronically, and we could amplify them, and we could filter them, and we could do all these wonderful things. And then that led into the, the magnetic era where we had magnetic tape, um, real, anyone have a reel-to-reel player? Not many. Reel-to-reel that, that, that went to VHS, uh, that, that went to, that went to uh, cassette. How many have a drawer full of cassettes at home? <laughs> Magnetic tape gave us the capability to do multi-tracking, which may not mean anything to a lot of you, but it's a really cool thing. And it really was an advancement in sound. And then now we're in this thing we call the digital era, where the sound signal has been taken and been transposed into just a series of, of ones and zeros. And it, it's producing a, a great, all of these, no matter what era, and continuing as we move forward, the goal is to produce a high-fidelity sound, which by definition means to replicate a sound to sound exactly like the original. That's the goal of high fidelity. How many of you know that definition will preach? And that's what this series is about. We're going to be talking about living lives, Christian lives, godly lives, saved, anointed lives in such a way that we replicate, that our lives replicate the life of Jesus. 
that we be as best as we can with, with the Holy Spirit's help, an exact replica of the person of Jesus Christ. That's, that's going to be the focus. That's a, that's a big challenge, but I think you're up for it. And so we're going to lay that as a foundation. Think, think about how powerful sound is. Just think about that for a while. Sound has the ability to set moods. Sound has the ability to soothe and to comfort. Remember when, when King Saul was distressed, he called for David to play. And, and it, would, it was the only thing that calmed his spirit. It, sound has the, uh, the ability to excite us. And sound ha- Have you ever had this experience where you're, you're going along life and then suddenly you hear, usually a song, you hear a song. From a song you haven't thought about or heard for forever, but it takes you right back to that moment. Suddenly you're just thinking, feeling, and experiencing something that is, that is a day gone by. But because you, heard, because you heard a sound, sound can strike fear. Sound can generate anger, frustration, discontent. Sound can instruct us. It can guide us. It, it can distract us and deceive us. Sound has all of this ability. Um, Back in the 60s, there was a, uh, a, a heavy metal group, uh, this is confession time, called Iron Butterfly. They had a song that was very popular on the radio that had a very disturbing first line. And so I'm in my mid-teens, and I, of course, have my clock radio, alarm radio, set to play music on the contemporary radio station. And so it's quite an experience when you come out of a dead sleep and at a high volume you hear this phrase, I am the God of hellfire. (laughs) Not a good way to start your day. Not a comforting way to, to begin a new day. That was the line of that sound, and that sound, well, that's, you get holy in a hurry. You, you, you do whatever you have to do. You, you get on your knees, you pray, you confess, you do everything you know to do when that wakes you up in the morning. So we're going to be talking about high-fidelity living, high-fi living. And, and of course, we'll be, be talking about sounds that we take in, but... Overall, the underlying question that I want us to continue to ask ourselves through the series is, what sound is my life making? What sound is my life making? No, David makes an interesting statement in one of his um, songs that he wrote. In Psalms 40, he's talking about a time where he's coming out of this very difficult situation. We're not exactly sure what it, what it was, but he's, he's saying that, the, that he came to this moment of, of this experience where the Lord broke through. The Lord took him up and out of that situation. He describes the situation as being in a horrible pit where, where he was stuck in this miry, his feet were stuck in a miry clay, and God takes him up and out of the situation, and he makes a great statement. He says he has put, God has put a new song in my mouth, even a song of praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear. And she'll trust the Lord. And that, that verse has always captured my attention because it says that God gave him a new song, but it doesn't say many will hear it. It says many will see it. And in their seeing it, they'll trust the Lord. The point I want to bring out of that is that, that your life makes a sound. 
and it's a sound that others can see. You know, they tell us, the experts, whoever these experts are, they tell us that only 7% of communication is verbal. The majority of the communication that comes from your life is nonverbal. It's not something that people hear. It's something that people see. Body language, motion, attitude can be picked up by sight, not just sound. And sometimes the sound that we make, the actual words that come out of our mouth, are discouraged or dismissed because the, the language, the music behind the words is saying people are seeing something different. And so we want to ask ourselves a question, what sound is my life making when people hear me, when they see me? Paul told the Corinthians that you're living epistles being read by all men. We make a sound that others can hear. So if you have the, your Bibles with you, we're going to be going to the book of Galatians, and we're going to, we'll get there shortly, but you may want to turn there. The first chapter of Galatians, we'll pull our lesson from there today. And, and in this series, I want to look at three adjustments to our sound, okay? Today being the first one. And to, so today we're going to be talking about the title of the message is Adjusting the Clarity of Our Sound. If our life makes a sound, we want to make sure that it's a clear sound, an understandable sound, a discernible sound. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your presence among us. I I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the Holy Spirit who is here guiding. I, I pray that you would, Holy Spirit, speak through me. I pray that you anoint the ears and the minds and the hearts of those who hear your words. God, take this time and make it what you desire it to be. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's talk about the importance of clarity. Paul tells the Corinthians, he says, even if lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, don't give distinct notes, how will anyone know what's played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, Who will get ready for battle? All right, now, if you take the context of this setting, and many of you probably already know what what is going on in the larger passage, Paul is contrasting the use of prophecy and tongues in corporate worship. And he's not rating them, but he is bringing out value. He's not diminishing tongues in any way. In fact, if you continue reading the, the 14th chapter of, of 1 Corinthians, he's going to say in a few verses that I'm fa- I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. So he's not diminishing tongues, but he's talking about the corporate gathering and he's making a point that there is more advantage in a, spoken, in a word that's spoken prophetically than in a word that's spoken in tongues. Why? Because of understandability. Because that, that in, the, in the message of tongues, only the speaker is edified, unless there's an interpretation. But in a prophetic word, everybody, the whole church, is edified. So he's, he's just making a, a, an interesting point 
and giving some instruction that applied to what was going on in the Corinthian church in the area of corporate worship. Now, the broader principle that I wanted to draw out for our lesson and our purposes today is simply this, that there's, there's limited benefit in a sound that's unclear. That, that's, why, that's why he says, if you, you have a, a flute and a harp and they're playing an unclear melody, who, who can sing? If, if the instruments are playing the wrong notes, then how can you sing along? How can you pick up the same melody and sing together? Or he says, or, or a, a bugle, a trumpet, which was used in that day largely to give instruction to armies of what to do. Get up, move forward, retreat, do whatever. The, if the trumpet makes an unclear sound then he says that then who knows to get ready for battle? Who knows how to prepare? Who knows what they're supposed to do if it's an unclear sound? And as Christians, we want to make sure that the sound of our lives is a clear sound. That, that we're, you know, it's very confusing to the world when we make great profession of our faith in Christ, but then live the way they do. No one wants to dare say amen to that statement, right? It's very confusing to them when, when we make a statement of who we are in our faith in Christ, but then we, we laugh at the same jokes, we go to the same movies, we, we um, listen to the same music, we use the same language. It, it sort of makes an unclear sound coming out of our lives. When Jesus came to earth as a human being, he made a very clear sound. He said, repent. The kingdom of God is here. That's a pretty clear sound. If you go to the Sermon on the Mount, that tremendous teaching that Jesus gives on the side of a mountain, numerous times in his message, he made this statement. You have heard it said. What's the other side? But I say. You've heard it said. But I say, and I would suggest to you today that our default is to live our lives where we make a sound based on what we've heard said more than what we've heard Jesus say. I think the church in, every, in, in my own life, I have to bear some of the guilt and responsibility of that reality. That the sound that I'm making may not be a new sound may not be a clear sound, a distinct sound. The sound that I'm making may not be an authentic sound. It may just be a repeat of what I've heard said, of what I've just taken in, and I'm just restating things that already have been, you know, exist around me. Let me give you a few examples of that. There's the sound of tradition. That would be, I would call that an unexamined sound. The sound of tradition, where we, we believe things, and we say we believe things, and we're, we're bold about them. I believe this, and I believe this, and I believe this. But the, the problem is, what if someone says, why do you believe it? And we have no answer. Well, I don't know. I've, I've always believed that. Because we've picked up tradition, even in our faith. We've picked up tradition. And we, we believe the tradition, we accept the tradition, but we don't know why we believe it. We don't know, actually, even if it's true or accurate. And if it is true and accurate, we don't know based on what. 
We couldn't explain it to another person. It's just a conviction inside our own heart, the sound of tradition. There's the sound of heritage. I don't know if this ever happened to you, but did you ever open your mouth, your, your mouth and, and the sound of your mother came out? <laughs> Do you ever have an experience where when you were younger, you thought you heard certain things, you observed certain things, you said, well, I'll never act like that. I'll never say those kinds of things. I'll never. Right? The sound of heritage. There's the sound of preference. That's a, that's a selfish sound. The sound of, of heritage, or, or of preference, rather. It, it builds a faith um, on self. It builds a faith where I surround myself with all the stuff I like. I, I, I construct a belief and a, a practice based on my preference. And, and this is what Christianity is supposed to be. And if your preference doesn't align with my preference, well, I still love you. You're just not as good a Christian as I am. Because your preference is different than my preference. And preference has a big sound that it makes in our ears. How about the sound of circumstances? I'd call that absorbed sound. Where experience that we're going through or have gone through, where those experiences dictate our attitudes and our behavior. Those dictate how we respond in life, react in life, how we treat people, how we see people, how we receive from other people. This sound of circumstance, experiences that, good and bad, that shape the sound of our lives. And then there's the sound of culture. That's a reflected sound. That's a sound that takes its cues from the culture around. That's the sound that wants to blend in. That's the sound that wants to fit in. That's the sound that wants to, to um, not stand out too much. And so we just reflect the sound of the culture around us. We, we pick out the voices that sound most agreeable to us or seem like, you know, something we want to, we think sounds okay, and we just repeat, reflect that sound. And that's what comes out of our lives. Now the problem with, with all of these sounds is they're all, for the Christian, they're all unclear sounds. And they will produce an unclear life. And the problem with that, the problem with the church producing an unclear sound is we're living in a time where we desperately need clarity. We're living in a season, we're living in a nation where clarity is the one thing that's missing in all the sound around us. We're, we're living at a time where we're battling key, crucial issues, civil unrest, racism, sanctity of the unborn, violence, gender rights, law enforcement, morality, and the list goes on and on and on and on. And the Word of God has something clear to say about all of that. Do you understand that? The Word of God speaks to every issue in life, and it speaks Clearly, and it's that clear sound that our society needs to hear. 
It's that clear sound that the world around us needs to see. And who can portray it? Who can make that sound other than the church of Jesus Christ? Other than those who believe in Jesus? Other than those who are filled and have resonant inside of them the very Holy Spirit of God? Who's to make that sound if it's not us? The problem is it's just easier to repeat what we've heard said. It's easier to just restate sounds that are already around us, sounds that aren't going to make us stand out, sounds that are just going to fit in or blend in or sounds that just feel good to us. But if you want to make your sound count, and I know you do, we, we want to live lives that matter for the sake of the kingdom. We want to live lives that make a difference for the sake of the kingdom. We want to live lives that make a difference in the eternity of someone else. And where they would spend that eternity, it's going to require not what's easy. It's going to require a life that abides and seeks out what Jesus said. Not what we've heard said, but what Jesus says. It's going to seek out what he said firsthand. Not heard through second, third, fourth parties. Not through tradition or heritage or preference or circumstance or culture. We're going to seek out from the source, the original. If we want to make the sound of the original, Jesus is the original. And we're going to seek a life that grows in the knowledge of him. And in that growing, our sound begins to be shaped more and more and more to align and to replicate his sound. You know, it's interesting, after the day of Pentecost, Peter goes out and preaches to the crowd, and you know the result. 3,000 people are saved. Why? Because they heard Peter? No. Because they heard the sound of Jesus. The apostles who are preaching are gathered by the Pharisees and brought in and interrogated. Because they didn't like what they were preaching. And they didn't like the response that they were getting to the preaching that they were offering to the people. And it makes a great statement. After examining them. After interrogating them, it says that they knew they had been with Jesus. Why? Because they sounded just like him. Because when they looked, it says they knew that these, these, this group of guys, these were just unlearned, uneducated people, but they knew they had been with Jesus because they sounded like him. And they couldn't dissuade them. And they couldn't talk them out of it. And they couldn't get them to move off the mark. Because they sounded just like Jesus. So if we go to Galatians, I told you we'd get there. Uh, I want to look at this this first adjustment, this thing about clarity. We can can find in in the first chapter of, of this book. Galatians, if you've read a lot of Paul's writings... You know, they're letters to various churches. And this, this letter has a little different feel than some of the other letters. Now, all of Paul's letters 
will include in the salutation, in the, somewhere in the opening first um, few lines, Paul will always include a, a, a statement of, or a blessing of, of grace and peace. He'll always pronounce grace and peace on the people that he's writing to. Sometimes it's grace, peace, and mercy. And then usually a personal note, some kind of encouragement, some kind of blessing, some expression of his affection for them, some experience that maybe he had with them, some thanksgiving that he has for, for them and for the, the reports that he's hearing about them or for their faithfulness, some, some kind of personal note. But in this book, there's a different feel. There's a sense of urgency that comes through in, in, in Paul's writing. Now, he begins it in very typical style. Verse number one of chapter one of Galatians, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now at this point, this is when Paul would usually segue into, I thank God for my, my you know, Things I've heard about you. I thank God for my memory of him. I thank God for my experiences that I've had with you. I thank God for your faithfulness. I thank God for the report that I hear of, of your expansion and your enlargement and, and faithfulness to the word. I thank, and he, in all, in most of his other letters, you can find that in somewhere in the opening passages, but not, not in Galatians. There, there's, he gives his typical opening, but there's no warm and fuzzy that follows. He, in fact, much the opposite. He, he go, listen, listen to verse 6. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. There's this urgency there's this issue that Paul can't take any more time. He writes his salutation, and he has to get to the point. He almost sensed that it's just driving him. He, he's overcome with this, this sense of urgency out of his affection for the Galatian believers. He's saying, listen, the, the gospel message, the clarity of the gospel message is at stake here. You've, you've got to listen to me. You've got to pay attention. You need to adjust the sound of the gospel that you're hearing, or it will affect the sound of the gospel that you make. Now, we know that this is a circular letter, meaning that Galatia wasn't a city. It was a region, and there were numerous cities within that region. So this letter would be taken from Paul, and it would be transported from city to city and read to those congregations. Now, the Galatian churches were examples of the power of the clarity of the gospel. They had received the gospel in its pure form from Paul, and they believed it. And, and the, the, what came out of it is a church that had never been seen before, 
a group of people, a community of people that, that no one had ever experienced before. From all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of belief systems, all kinds of values, all kinds of races and, and languages and generations. I'd like to think in, in some way that if, if we were back in those times, a Christian assembly would probably be in Galatia. That we sort of have some of that characteristic. And it, it only worked because they were united, came together under this one sound of the gospel. And all those other issues became superficial, not unimportant, secondary, not primary. The primary thing was the gospel and the person of Jesus Christ, and that in him we become one. That, that through the gospel, we are made into one new man, Paul calls it. And so this church was thriving and growing, but something bad was happening. Paul says that the gospel is being distorted in your midst. The gospel is being twisted, altered from its original sound. The gospel that you're hearing isn't the gospel that's true, isn't the gospel that was preached to you. And if you continue hearing it, it's going to change the way you sound in life and in the community around you. You know, we don't have these around much anymore. Does anyone know what this is? It's a transistor radio. And it, and it, it plays sound. But you know what? It's not good sound. And how many of you, you'll give away your age, but would play with a radio and find yourself trying to, to try and find that sweet spot of frequency. Sorry. But radio stations, you know, they, that, the, this, the sound that you're hearing isn't the sound they produced. The sound that the radio station is, is generating and broadcasting is much clearer and cleaner and, than the sound we just heard. There was interference to the signal. It came in, sound comes in fuzzy, even though it wasn't broadcast that way. That's, that's distortion. That's what distortion is. That, 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 you know, there was a time when our televisions didn't hang on a wall and the signal didn't come through a nice coax cable line and we didn't have, you know, 4G and 5G where, you know, the, the pictures on these mammoth screens hanging on our walls now are almost like 3D. They're so crystal and, and beautiful and I love it. But there was a time when TVs were just huge boxes filled with tubes and electronics and they'd weigh a thousand pounds and, and they would build them in these wood frames so it looked like a piece of furniture that you could hardly move. But then on top of the TV, of every TV, was this thing we called rabbit ears. Right? It was, it was two of these things. These telescoping things that pointed out and you would adjust to find the right frequency because if it was in the wrong place or out of position, well, your, your sound and your picture wasn't as good as it could be. 
And I don't know if you ever had the experience. I was, I was a kid, and I was always the one that had, first of all, you didn't have a remote, so I was the one that had to go change the channel. And then oftentimes, and while you're there, because since you changed the channel, well, now the rabbit ears need adjusted. You remember the experience where if you go up and you touch the rabbit ears, and suddenly the pitch would be perfect. And so it's like, well, just stand there and hold that. And I don't want to... Because of distortion. We don't like distortion. Distortion is not attractive. It's not appealing. We don't, we don't like distortion. When I was in college, I had a hard time getting up for my early morning class. When I scheduled a 7.30, 8 o'clock class, I had a hard time getting up because I had a hard time going to sleep at night. Just bad discipline. And so you know what I would do? Because I hate distortion. I took my, my little alarm clock radio. I put it on the other side of the room. And I set it just off channel. Now, it's a very aggravating way to wake up, but it would get me out of bed in the morning because I didn't like the distortion. I, I couldn't stand that, that distorted kind of sound. And these people, the church was listening to a distorted gospel. See, distortion gives a false impression of the real thing. It's a misrepresentation of what's really true. That's what distortion is. And, and he says in verse 7, there are some who trouble you. There are some who are distorting the gospel to you. There, there's some that you need to pay attention to and, and guard against. There's, there's this group called Judaizers. They, they were Jewish Christians, but they were teaching a gospel they preferred. Not the one that they originally heard. They weren't ignoring that one. They weren't even dismissing that one. But they were preaching a gospel that fit better into their understandings and their ideas. They were teaching a, a, a gospel, not the gospel Paul taught, because the gospel Paul taught offended their sensibilities. They, they, they wanted to hold on to the Levitical law. They were comfortable with the Levitical law. They liked the Levitical law. They liked the formality. They liked the structure of it. They, they liked the, the predictability of it. They liked because they knew the parameters and how to operate in that. They, this, Paul, this gospel Paul brought was this whosoever believes. That's too open-ended for them. So what did they do? They, took, they were taking the gospel and adding to it. They didn't dismiss the gospel. They didn't deny what Paul taught. They took and, and came with this, out with this teaching where, where salvation now is certainly faith in Christ and keeping the law, or we would say good works. Salvation in, includes and, and requires faith in Christ and good works. They took the gospel and merged the old with the new. They took the gospel and they tried to blend works and grace together in, in, the, in, the, same, in, in the same container. And it was causing tremendous confusion and division in the church. They were making the gospel say what the gospel didn't say. And that's called distortion. When that happens, that's called distortion. Simple example. You're a kid, and mom says to the kid, do the dishes and tell your sister to sweep the floor. Being the dutiful child, you go to your sister and you say, mom said, sweep the floor and help me do the dishes. 
That's called distortion. That's called what Paul would say is a different gospel. And it's cute until we think about how we've done that in the church. In the church of Jesus Christ. We, we take core issues that all agree on. And then we do our little adding. We do our little merging. We do our little blending. Water baptism. Every, every Christian agrees with water baptism. Every Christian agrees that it's, it's something that we do as a, as a, because Jesus commanded it. That we're to be baptized. If we're saved, then we're, then we're to follow his example in water baptism. And we agree about it. No one, I've never heard a Christian say, no, you don't have to be baptized in water. They, they, they all agree. Every, every church that I'm aware of, every Christian church that I'm aware of. But then what do we do? Well, yes, you have to be baptized in, in Jesus' name. Oh, 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 no, no, no. In, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, but you have to be sprinkled. No, no, no. You have to be immersed. All right, you have to be immersed. All right. Well, is it forward or backward? Which way are we going here? You see what I'm saying? Additives. Just, just little tweaks. Just, just little adjustments. Just little things that just seem to fit better to us. They just make more sense. They feel better to us. Communion, we all agree. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. The Eucharist, sharing and coming together at the Lord's table, we all agree. And then we start talking about frequency. Or what elements do we use? Or how should it be served? And who should do the serving around this holy sacrament of the church? By the way, can I take a moment? This is not part of the message. It's a side commercial, but I want to apologize for these. I just, just blanket, say, I'm sorry. Okay? Um, they're difficult. They're hard to open. And at the end of the day, they're nasty. I'm, I'm sorry. They're necessary right now. They, they help and satisfy a lot of things that are, you know, just apply to the time in, the, in which we're walking through right now. But, but if you can find the wafer... You've just found a little styrofoam disc. <laughs> and this is true confession time. I have to pray for grace before I take the juice. Because it's no juice that I've ever tasted before in my life. It's not wine. It's not grape juice. I don't know what it is. But if it has a shelf life of a thousand years, something's up. So I apologize. I, I, I apologize on behalf of everybody. Okay. Can we agree on that? <laughs> Worship. We all agree God is worthy to be praised. He deserves the glory due his name. No Christian disagrees with that reality, but you can fill in the blanks after that of the things that we add, of preference, of style, of tempo, of of kind of song, of, of, of you pick it. You know, the, the, the list is almost unending. Now, I'm not saying, all right, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that protocol and practice are unimportant, which is what a lot of these sub-things are. They come down to protocol and practice. 
And they have a place. And they have a purpose. And they're not wrong and they're not unimportant. What I am saying is this. They're not essential. When it comes to the gospel, they're just not essential. When we're talking about the gospel message, protocols and practices have a place. But it's a secondary place. They, they, because they change. Protocols and practices change all the time. You've gone through numerous of them. Just, just if you've been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years, you've gone through a lot of changes in protocol and practice. But the gospel hasn't changed at all. The gospel is the same, just like God, yesterday, today, and forever. Protocols and practice. You know, there was a time where we couldn't, we couldn't go to movies. And God forbid you go to a bowling alley. Or have a Christmas tree. There was a time where most of the ladies in this room would have to be dismissed and go home because you're not supposed to wear makeup. You, you know that. You understand that. But that's, and there's place for that and there's room for that measuredly. But that's protocols and practice. When we the problem is when we attach them to the gospel message. When there are addendums to the gospel message. Well, if you're really a Christian, you would. And then we fill in our little preference. Or we fill in our little caveat. Or we fill in, and, we, and, and here's the problem. When we, when we take those non-essentials, not an important, but non-essentials. When we take non-essentials and we raise them to a, to a level that, that is equal to the sanctity of the gospel. When we add non-essentials as conditions to the gospel, it produces an unclear sound. It distorts the sound of the gospel. What comes out is not the true gospel. And listen, here's a way you can tell. It will divide people. The church in Galatia was fine until an unclear gospel was being presented. And it started dividing the church. The church in Corinth, a great church, a blessed church, an exciting church, but started to divide. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. Because they started adding their own little caveats to the purity of the message of the gospel. And that makes an unclear sound. It makes a distorted sound. Paul's urgency in writing this letter from the get-go is, guys, we have to clear up, clean up the sound. you got to pay attention to the sound that's being, that you're hearing because the sound you're taking in is going to be the sound that you produce. The gospel is essential. It's the essence of our faith. It's the core value of our life and of what we believe but we have to put a line, a period at the end of the gospel. And then there's room for discussion and prayer and about other things. But the gospel, the essential, essentiality of the gospel has to remain clean and pure. The gospel plus nothing is the clear sound of Jesus. The gospel message with no additives, with no conditions, with no uh, things that we, blendings of other things is the sound of Jesus. And to expand or add to that gospel is a distorted gospel. And distortion is dangerous. Paul tells us in the text that distortion is dangerous. Why? Well, minimally. 
At best, distortion is dangerous because it leads to distraction. It, it captures our attention. It pulls our attention away from the pure, the real, the genuine, the original. And it just puts our focus just a little off-center. Distraction can pull us away from it. That's, that's some of those other sounds that we've already talked about. Of tradition and preference and heritage and circumstance and culture. Those are, those are just little tweaks that can distract us and pull us just a little off the tra trajectory of our life, just a little bit off the purity of the, of the gospel. That's the best case scenario. Worst case scenario, Paul says, that it was causing some to desert. See, distraction captures our attention, but desertion, that captures our heart. That, that's that's walking away. You know, it's, a, it's actually a military term that um, Paul used. And it's when a soldier leaves his post without permission. For whatever pressures, whatever reason he has, he justifies himself and he, and he leaves his post. He's saying that they're, they're, they're giving you this distorted gospel that can lead to desertion of the gospel. Well, I'll never leave Jesus. And you, you may not. Not necessarily. That if we give ear or include all these contaminants to the gospel, it may not mean that you walk away from Jesus entirely, but it does mean this. It'll keep you from replicating his sound through your life. It'll keep you from making a great impact in the lives of others around you. We have to be careful not to make the gospel say what, is that, what it doesn't say by adding our attachments. You know, sometimes we, treat, we could treat our, our faith and our Christian life and treat the gospel sort of like, you know, Congress treats bills. You know, Congress never passes a bill as a bill. There's always these things they call earmarks. You know, here's the bill, and this is the purity of what it's about. And it's the central core of what we're going after. But then they play all their games. Well, if you want it and you want, then we add these and we add that, and suddenly a, a four-page document is 5,000 pages. Paul's emphatic. Pay attention. Only the gospel is the gospel. That's a great motto. Only the gospel is the gospel. He says in the next couple of verses, listen, if I come to you, if another preacher comes to you, listen, if an angel from heaven comes to you and gives a contrary gospel, and he uses hard language, let him be accursed. I won't translate that in today's vernacular. And he repeats it twice. He says the same thing twice. Let him be accursed. See, anything that is added to the gospel then our gospel becomes a different gospel, not the one Jesus brought. And the sound of our lives will not be high fidelity. They will not be a true or exact representation or replication of the sound of Christ in the earth. So the question it brings us to is this. Is there a different gospel in the church today? Is there a different gospel being promoted or pr presented or, or circulated around the church today? The answer, yes. Is the gospel, is there a trend that's happening um, in the church world today? Yes. Are, are there shifts that have been made um, that we, we should be aware of or that have happened? Maybe we've already been affected by them and, and don't know the answer is yes, absolutely yes. 
And we're going to talk about them next week. That was a teaser. This whole message was a teaser. Really, it's just because I'm out of time. So come back for part two, because it's important. It's important. Worship team or Lilia, whoever's coming, would you you come as as we close? Um, There is no substitute for the gospel. You're here because of the gospel. There's no other other reason you would be here. Unless you're here in search of something you can't find, and you thought, well, maybe those people know something. Then I would say to you, you're here, maybe not because of the gospel, but you're here for the gospel. Or if you're listening online, you're listening for the gospel. A pure message that invites people, that encourages, that gives hope to people. And it's the sound that we want to make with our lives. We'll flesh that out a little bit more next Sunday. For today, why don't we stand? If you're home and you want to stand, I encourage you to do that too. Can we do this first? Can we just be thankful for the gospel message? Can we just be thankful for the effect of the gospel in our lives? Can we be thankful for the purity of, of that message and, and the, the dynamic that it's brought to us? Thankful for the fact that you stand here today as, a, as fruit of the gospel message, fully assured of your salvation, assured of your forgiveness, assured of eternal life. That's a reason to rejoice. But understand, the gospel isn't a one and done. It requires constant attention if we're going to produce a clear sound. The gospel requires continual attention. Paul says, examine yourself as to whether you're still in the faith. The book of Jude says, contend for the faith. Because there's other voices that are trying to creep in and pervert the grace of God. It's not something we point back to. The gospel isn't something we point back to and say, oh yeah, back on that day. The gospel is real every day, present, relevant, every day. And we as Christians need to be on our guard that that gospel never becomes a different gospel because it will cap and limit our lives and our walk with Jesus, and it will affect the sound that we're making with our lives. And we can find ourselves unfruitful and not making any impact in others' lives because what they're hearing and seeing is a different gospel. So I encourage you to make sure you're here next Sunday. Before I pray, I'm going to give you homework if that's all right, based on this and getting prepared for next Sunday. I I put together a very short, very simple six-day devotional. Um, If you're here today, when you leave, we'll have cop forms at every of the giving stations. They'll be there. You can pick up and take one on your way home. If you're watching on, on a device, you can scroll down in the description column and you'll see a link. It'll take you to the document that you can then print out or 
if you're watching on TV, when service ends or as service ends, we're going to put the form on the screen and we'll just leave it up there for a couple minutes so you can quick get a pad and pencil and, and jot it down. Just a simple assignment for each day, but I think something that could be beneficial in your life. How many love the Word of God? I love the Word of God. It's, it's the only truth that exists. And he's privileged us to expose us to it and be changed by it. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its reality. And thank you that it is forever relevant. Your word is always contemporary. It is always today. And Lord, we... We hear your word today. We receive your word today. And we ask that let your word transform us. Let your word wash over us. Let your word reveal to us. Lord, our heart and our desire is to be more and more and more like Jesus. So that when people see us, when they hear us, it's really just... A reflection of you. It's really just a replication of your love, your character, your nature. And to that, others can be drawn. Lord, that's the clarity that our world needs to see today. And you've given us the privilege and the honor of being able to carry and reflect that sound. So, Lord, we just bless you today. I, I pray that you bless your word as it's been presented and as we've received it. And I, I pray you multiply it in our hearts and in our minds. I pray, Holy Spirit, this week help us to just take inventory within ourselves, not in any condemning kind of way. There's no guilt that, that goes along with this, but... Lord, just as faithful sons and daughters, as faithful, clean vessels before you, show us if there's anything in our lives that we've elevated to a level beyond that, that it deserves and that it could distort our sound in any way. Father, show it to us and grace us to make necessary changes and adjustments so that we would be your people reflecting your sound in this earth today. I pray when, as we go today that, that your blessing rests on your people. I pray your protection. I pray your healing touch on those who need it. I pray provision for where there's lack. I pray for encouragement where there's discouragement and fear. I pray for strength when, where there's weariness. I pray, Lord, that you make yourself real in every life. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you.